Welcome everybody to episode 10 of the Functional Firefighter Framework podcast. Uh, today we have a guest in studio, Dr. Zaki with Optimize Physical Therapy. Uh, today we're going to be talking about movement requirements for firefighters, um, mm -hmm. some common injury patterns that you've seen, um, you've treated how many of us so far, would you say? Uh, as a company, probably close to 100. Awesome. 100, just from the rescue. Okay, cool. Um, so... <laughs> so, uh, real quick, a little yeah. bit on your background, um, okay. what Optimize uh, specializes in and, and what you're currently working on. Yeah, so uh, I'm a doctor of physical therapy. I graduated from Turo University, Nevada in 2015. Uh, after that, did an orthopedic residency at University of Michigan and then went over to Ohio State, became a trader, did a fellowship over there. Uh, and as soon as that was done, packed up my car, moved back to Vegas and started up Optimize, which uh, the vision of the company was always to change the way healthcare is delivered, uh, mostly to the active adult and athlete. So that's who we specialize in. And um, as we first started, actually, one of our first ever patients uh, was a firefighter. And uh, from there, started developing more and more of a passion of helping uh, people that are athletes but aren't recognized as athletes. And um, started started realizing that you know they're in a in a position of dire need of someone that understands how they move, understands their lifestyle, still treats them like a human being and not just a body part. Because the requirements, I think, uh, both stress level wise, job requirements, physical requirements, uh, you know, mental requirements that firefighters go through, isn't very well understood by anybody in our profession. There's not a single class in school that, that taught me that. Um, there wasn't a single course that taught me that. And it was all by meeting more firefighters, learning about them, and actually, you know, uh, giving a shit about what they do and understanding that, you know, they, they do such a big service to any city or county they're in, but they don't get treated as such. So uh, kind of lit a fire under me. Uh, and then as our team kind of expanded and grew, uh, we, we brought on other docs that have the same kind of passion. So that's what, you know, led us to working with so many more firefighters. And now we have a program for firefighters that we can, we can help out. And we, we, uh, designed this program. So, uh, they all get one-on-one -on -one attention, like any other professional athlete we work with. And we look at them the same way we look at it as a professional athlete. And we've been able to see some really cool results. Awesome. Awesome. Cool. And the one thing that um, I could say, because I mean, obviously, me and me and Clink been going optimize Clink before me. Mm -hmm. um, was for our viewers and listeners, <clears throat> this isn't your standard physical therapy. Mm -hmm. This isn't something where there's this uh, a, a, a geriatric facility where we're doing hip replacements or knee replacements, mm -hmm. and there's jazz music playing, and there's a bunch of band workouts where you have an assistant come over, say do three sets of ten, yeah. and we'll move on to the next, and they leave. Like right. I mean, like literally, people think of it, Absolutely. and that is not what it is. It is one-on-one mm -hmm. -on -one attention with the doctor that is evaluating every movement. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that you do that is, is such a small thing, but for me as a patient that I appreciated and I noticed it instantly was you use your phone with, yeah. as a camera, mm -hmm. and you go, hey, look. Look how yeah. you're moving. Right, right. Stop that. And then we'll do something <laughs> and you'll go, see how it's gotten better? And yeah. instantly, I mean, within three minutes, you're like, wow, that yeah. was really... So I just wanted to make sure people knew like, oh, no, a physical therapist is, you know, this quiet place where like, yeah. no, this is, it's it's grueling. It hurts. It's not fun, mm -hmm. but it's required. Yeah. So... Um, and I, th I think that's the that's a big thing too, is like you said, uh, standard physical therapy, it's, it's not your standard physical therapy. What it needs to be the standard, right? So that that's the big thing that I think was one of the big visions for the company is why why isn't it the standard? Why is it so special that we care about you guys enough to give you one-on-one -on -one for an hour? Why is that special? That should be the standard healthcare does, you know? Not just in physical therapy, but when you go to see a physician, why are you moved from a waiting room for an hour to another waiting room for an hour? And then the you know doc comes in for 15 minutes and tells you to you know eat these meds and see me in a couple of weeks. Like, wh why is that the standard? And why do we accept it? You know, so those are questions that were always rattling around in my brain and I never came up with a good answer, you know, so, so that's why, you know, we're, we're trying to revolutionize and be very innovative in the space and change the way we deliver healthcare. And I would say the most comforting thing about your, uh, your clinic is, uh, it reminds me of football. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. Like it, that was, uh, the care I received and the type of physical therapy, like I can have, and my wife can pet me at home. 
yeah. for an hour. You know what I mean? Like I, I want to get fixed. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I, I want, I want to have change and I don't want, uh, I like you all give like a, a list of workouts for the mm-hmm. week. It's like, Hey, make sure you do these things at home. It's mm-hmm. like, so like your goal is almost counterintuitive to the business model because right. you're like, I don't want to see you again. Like, right. I want you to be well on your own. Like mm-hmm. come in maybe monthly for a checkup, see how things are going. But I want you to solve your own problems at home, like right. which is awesome yeah. for a consumer standpoint. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. And you're right. Like for, for the business model sake, that's why every other physical therapy clinic or chiropractic clinic, you come in and they say, hey, come in three times a week for, you know, eight weeks or chiropractic clinics sometimes say come in for the rest of your life. You need us. And building that dependency weakens you mentally, you know, weaken, weakens your perception of who you actually are as a human being, because if you build that dependency of on someone, regardless of what it is, and you feel like you can't do it yourself. Whereas we already know that if you really want to make true change in your body, it's going to require work from yourself. No one's going to fix you. Even like the soft tissue stuff or hands-on stuff that we do, that's to, you know, gain some temporary change to where now you can move and get that long-term change. You know, at the end of the day, the exercise and the movements are always going to be what's going to give that long-term change. Mm -hmm. But we also know when it comes to patients, uh, whether it's firefighters or otherwise, the the best patient is the most informed patient and they're going to make the best decisions. And and sometimes you have to find, everybody has a different why. Somebody might be, you know, they want to make sure they're alive so they can walk their daughter down the aisle in 10 years. Some people want to make sure they can keep providing for their family. Some people want to make sure they can stay in this bowling league that they get all their social, you know, interaction from on a weekly basis. It doesn't matter to us, like, you know, that what the why is, it matters that we find it and, and we make sure that's what we use as motivation to make sure, you know, everything we do is to make sure that you keep this in your life yeah. because it's important to you, not important to me, but important to the person in front of us. Yeah. And when you mention uh, two words, the, the standard and dependency, uh, mm-hmm. one of the things that you are very, very adamant about is that evaluation pre-imaging mm-hmm. and that seems to be standard. Mm-hmm. And then that leads into the dependency of unnecessary shots Mm-hmm. unnecessary surgeries. Mm-hmm. Can you go in a little bit on that and why and where that belief comes from? Yeah. So, so the standard model is, you know, someone gets hurt, whether it's at work or whatever, uh, you immediately go see, you know, emergency room, urgent care physician from there, you, uh, they send you for x-rays. And then from there you go to a specialist and then from there they send you to physical therapy. And by the time you're there, you've spent a bunch of money and you spent a bunch of time not really getting great answers because, all the research on medical imaging, whether it's an MRI or x-ray, whatever it is, is that a lot of those findings they find on there that are quote unquote abnormal are really just incidental findings, right? There's people out there with like, you know, torn meniscus and, uh, you know, degenerative disc disease in their back and they have zero symptoms. So why, when they found those on your MRI or x-ray, have they said that's what's causing your symptoms? If, If they can exist without causing symptoms, then they can never be the cause of symptoms. Now, I'm not saying imaging isn't important. For certain cases, it is very important, but um, there's research showing timely or early uh, MRIs, depending on how, for low back pain, when you get them, um, will completely change the direction of your care, right? Like, so if you get an early MRI within, you know, when, when you don't need it, it's been shown your chances for getting injection and surgery and pain pills skyrockets, even for the same uh, you know, grouping of symptoms, even if the same intensity of symptoms. So uh, at the end of the day, you can both save money, not only to yourself, but to an employer or to whoever you're talking about uh, by seeing a physical therapist first. You can get people back to work faster. You can get them, you know, taking healthcare back into their own hands instead of waiting for the next appointment, waiting for the next image. Oh, this image says I'm broken. Now in your mind, you're broken. And a lot of, a lot of you know, physicians are in that mindset of, you know, not really thinking about what they're saying to patients. Like I've had patients come in and say, oh, my doctor said I have the knee of a 70 year old. Even if you think that's true, why would you say that? It, it doesn't make any sense of what benefit are you getting Dependency. from there? Exactly. So, so, so that's what, that's what we're trying to, uh, really dispel those myths, trying to push that information out, not only through social media, but through everybody we interact with that, you know, you are not your image and uh like your medical image and you need to have a provider that cares about you enough to really you know comb through this research and see it could this possibly be an incidental finding and if it is make sure you understand that because you know words on a on an mri report or a ct scan or whatever it is can be very uh scary to patients especially patients that don't have a medical background 
right? So you have to make sure you, you, you treat them as such and you, and you give them as much guidance as they need. For sure. Yeah. And that, and I experienced that firsthand when mm -hmm. I had, uh, ran the marathon, mm -hmm. woke up the next day, walking with, I mean, excruciating pain on the outside yeah. of my leg. Remember? I remember and I called you, I was like, dude, I think I have a hairline fracture on my shin. Right. Like right. it was, it hurt. Like mm -hmm. not like sore. I was injured. Yeah. And I was like, I'm for sure need to go get an x-ray because yeah. this thing's broke. Right. Right. And sure shit. I don't know what, if there was a protocol that you had fought there. Mm -hmm. Literally it was within five minutes picked my leg up, said, do this, do that. Well, yeah. obviously this is what's going on with this nerve because you're able to jump through these hoops and yeah. meet these standards or whatever movement capabilities. Mm -hmm. This is what it is. Right. And I doing that, going to you first, mm -hmm. being able to run through those evaluations, stop me from going to an, an, an emergency room, getting right. an unnecessary x-ray. So right. I, experiencing it firsthand is, is really eye opening to go, Oh wow. Like they, there's hands-on evaluations, mm -hmm. which isn't standard. It's, right. let's see what's going on here, send you, and then right. we'll get the results and go from there. So, Well, like, you all, like, practice voodoo or something, right? Because it's always that weird, like, hey, my, I, uh, when I got promoted, <clears throat> this is going to sound really weird. I think sitting in that front seat, I got lower back pain just because you sit in a weird angle. Mm -hmm. And I was, I, I think when we met, it was right when I made captain. Yeah, right after. Uh, the fire first firefighter you saw was... Morgan Uhas, mm -hmm. and she introduced us, and we came in, and uh, it wasn't very long after just sitting in that seat like that, because the front seats aren't very comfortable. Like, my lower back was bothering me, and we did some breathing exercises, and I sat up, my lower back pain was gone. I'm like, well, I don't know what you just did. <laughs> with, the, like, with the medicine ball between the knees? Yeah. <laughs> yeah doesn't make I'm any like, sense. I don't know what you just did to me. <laughs> but I feel foolish coming in here and just breathing a little differently, and now my yeah. back pain's gone. But it's 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 stuff like I've never seen that. I never yeah. had that done. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? So yeah. it's... Those kind yeah, of modalities. Uh, are I remember when he did it the first time, and I asked him like, "Hey, like, is there?" Remember we asked you, "Is there a little person inside?" That's like, "Yeah, I got it right." Because <laughs> you hide it well, and I'm like, "This dude has to be so excited when he nails it, and it's always on point." And you're like, yeah. "No, I have to hold it in because sometimes you're like, this is gonna work, and it doesn't." And it doesn't. Like, yeah. yeah. And, and and that's that's the big thing is like, no matter what the profession is, the the treatment or the intervention. Um, it's all based on the assessment, right? So, so same thing, like say, say you had a business that wasn't as profitable as you think, and you just think, oh, maybe I just need more social media marketing, or I need to put money in here and here. Until you really dive into the details of why this is happening, it doesn't matter where you throw money. You might get lucky, but I'm not, I'm not willing to chance your health or your health on luck. I'm, I'm willing to base it off of previous patterns that I've seen, the research I've done and everything else that I've, that I know about you guys. And, and it's just, it's one of those things that, you know, it seems it, you, you almost, yeah, you have to have a poker face a little bit because if I do something and it doesn't work, I'm like, okay, you know, this is probably why it didn't work. Let's go to the next step. And if I, if I put all my eggs in one basket, maybe, maybe the placebo effect that you thinking like, oh, he's so sure this is going to work. It should work, but I don't want to, I don't want a placebo effect giving you those changes. Um, Maybe there is some placebo effect in everything we do, but uh, I don't want that to be the main reason you're getting those changes because then it's like you get them once, but what if what if next time you do them, you don't you don't get those same results? So we, we put ourselves through the scientific process where you know we have a hypothesis and we test the hypothesis and we know that if there's extraneous variables when we do the intervention that you know maybe we're not on the right track. And, and I don't want the extraneous variables to be the reason the results happen. I want it to be the reason I think it's happening because knowing the why will allow you to extrapolate that and give more, you know, changes to this person's life for more long-term rather than just getting lucky and being like, Oh yeah, we'll just keep going doing that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So it's uh it's, yeah, it's a very interesting, uh, and even, even other physical therapists are, uh, kind of surprised by the way we treat people and like, you know, looking at rib cage, pelvis, foot, uh, looking at breathing patterns because, you know, I feel like, you know, breathing is, it's one of the most important things in the entire body. You don't do it, you die, right? So why wouldn't the body uh, put that at a very, very high priority, right? Breathing is an easy way to speak to the nervous system. Uh, you can you can hyperventilate right now and breathe yourself into anxiety, even though nothing around your environment has changed. So uh, it's a very, very powerful tool. Um, and when powerful tools like that happen that we can't like really physically explain, some people do run a little bit too far with it and start doing, you know, voodoo, hokey pokey type <laughs> stuff. Uh, but we want, we want to make sure that like, you know, everything we do is like, you know, founded in science and there is some kind of 
theory that we're testing every time that we're holding ourselves to that standard of testing the theory. And if the theory is wrong, okay, let's make a change. Yeah. So, and, and on that would lead it perfect. Uh, Clint could mention his, his previous back injury. Mm -hmm. Um, I had seen you from my knee from an injury that I'd had MCL injury from stepping off the rig. Uh, what are some of the, I guess, common injury patterns that you've seen with firefighters? I would say the the top three <clears throat> would definitely be low back, shoulder, and knee. Um, those are those are definitely the most common. Uh, sometimes like more stress related neck and like upper trap stuff goes on, but for the most part, it's going to be knee, low back, and shoulder, which is funny because it's not to completely different from the average population, right? But the reason it happens is pretty different, right? And and the distribution is a tiny bit different too, where it's where the average population is more low back. Um, but, uh, we know with low back pain in the, the general population, it has more correlation to, uh, stress, depression, and other kind of mental correlations than it does with, uh, than like physical movement patterns for the, for the average population. Now, as you get more active and have to lift more weight, have to move in different patterns, then the biomechanics of everything start to matter a little bit more. Um, and that's why, you know, the, the distribution of, most common injuries, low back falls down the list a couple of bit, uh, a couple spaces to the shoulder and knee. So those those are generally the most uh, common areas. Cool. We're gonna break into some actual movement patterns that we perform. Sure. Let's take a look. Uh, All righty. And uh, so for those of you listening on Spotify or Apple, you're gonna have to go to YouTube because uh, these are going to be we're gonna do videos. Um, of a few different things we do on the fire ground and on EMS scenes. Um, first one is a uh, single person 24 foot ladder throw. So maybe describing to the listeners on Spotify what we're seeing, uh, seeing a firefighter carry a ladder over the right shoulder uh, walking with the load, walking up to where he wants to, you know, deploy the ladder, um, and place it, places it down, kind of stands in like an asymmetrical lunge stance, uh, uh, pulls the cord to, to, uh, extend the ladder up to the desired height, and then going to leverage with his, with his foot, the, the bottom rung and applying it along the wall there. And we, we throw that a little differently mm -hmm. here. We, we hold it more like a shot put. Essentially, okay. so essentially the load is on the hand, and you're either grabbing a beam or a rung in front of you and throwing okay. it up. So, so seeing that as mm -hmm. far as having that load on one side of your body, um, walking with it, um, what are parts of the body that should be strengthened um, to be able to eliminate anything happening or mm -hmm. having the ability to do this effectively without injuring yourself? Right. So, so the biggest thing that uh, it, the, I would want the listeners to take away from this as we break these things down is that movement uh, preparedness will trump movement quality, uh, meaning that it's more important to be prepared for the movements that you're doing rather than trying to do them perfectly. Because especially as firefighters, you live in an imperfect movement world mm -hmm. where there's you know, environmental factors that nobody else has to really take into account, but you guys have to, whether it's, you know, the size of the person or the staircase or the, the home or the building you're in. Right. So, so being prepared for this, the, the, the things you'd have to do to be prepared for this is making sure that in your training, you are carrying some kind of asymmetrical load. Now, most asymmetrical load carrying exercises generally have them like below the waist with the arms extended down by your side. Um, but you may want to get into a, like a front rack position with a kettlebell and carry things like that, or like a, you know, bottoms up carry or overhead carries and make sure you're working on positions like that. And then now when, while he's extending the ladder, the most important thing is look how strong his base is, right? You need to be able to get into a lunge stance and be strong there. Um, the, the leveraging that as, as you lay down is probably more based on technique, but I would say, uh, overall, this movement doesn't look very much different than things you can prepare for in the gym really, really easily in your program. It, so I, I think that people that aren't prepared for this movement um, can very easily get prepared if they do the right uh, movements in the gym. Like I said, unilateral carries more towards the overhead side and like getting good at lunges and, and uh, static holds in the lunge position. Awesome. Cool. Let's move on to the next one. This is a uh, flat load hose deployment. 
and this is a this is obviously a walkthrough. If a building's on fire, it's going to be a scotch faster. Right. Right. So right away, you you see like you know you're you're pulling off a, a static load off of a off of a uh, uh, engine there. And the biggest thing there, and a couple of the injury patterns we've seen in the past is people trying to yank that hose off a little bit too quickly and uh, not pre-tensioning the muscles in that area. And what, what happens when you get a strain, physiologically what happens is uh, the muscle is being lengthened or shortened too quickly before it can yield to those forces, right? So uh, example I like to use is like someone throwing an egg at you and you wanting to catch it and not break it. If you have room behind you to yield that force and absorb it, it's going to be a lot easier to not break the egg versus if you don't have the room to go that way, right? So, um, so, so have, but you know, at the end of the day, you're still receiving the same egg, but the, the like where you're putting the force, you get a different result. So, how would you pretension that? So, once you get your hand or arm through the loop that you pull off, I would actually lean into it and like gradually bring on the force and then jump off with it instead of having the, the hose that slack and trying to yank into it, pretending like that's what's going to give you that force. So, you're saying maybe take, you step towards the, you step on the lip, mm -hmm. step towards the hose load. Yeah. Secure it. Mm -hmm. And then you're saying like, like pre break yes. that load absolutely. a little bit. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah, the, the, the pec muscle and the bicep should be on and, and should be engaged before you start applying the maximal force on the maximal force. You could have, you could apply it the same way, but now you're taking those muscles that you you're going from like a jerky quick kind of motion where the tissues in our body, um, because they're made of collagen, they're made of, they're made of soft tissue, um, generally are much more yielding when they have a tiny bit more time to kind of yield into that. Uh, and it, it could be like a, you know, a fraction of a second. So it's not really causing you too much slowdown. But on, it's, uh, it's the right. other way where I think I've, I've seen people, I'm sure you've seen it where they think that if, if they can get it, they can, they can yank and yeah. then get it. And then even when they get the tension, mm -hmm. they'll walk closer to it because I need to get one more good yank, one more yank yeah. and be able to get it out before yeah. they go. So they'll, they'll intentionally create slack yeah. because they think that they need that little bit that to create enough force unloaded yeah to be able to instantly jerk it off and, and causing that load to then i'm sure cause the injury is what yeah. you're what you're saying there yeah and, and like, like we talked about um not all movements are inherently dangerous right so that that in itself the the uh, uh you know grabbing it quickly off the fire engine is not an inherently dangerous movement it's just that you know when you're sleep deprived and there's you know a, a house on fire and there's other things going on you're not going to be paying attention to all the little things right so like we talked about if your body's prepared for those things it could probably handle them pretty well but i think people forget to to uh take into account the sleepless nights you guys have the amount of smoke inhalation all these other stressors you guys have uh those are things that are very very correlated to higher injury rates uh, whether it's in firefighters or the average population or, uh, you know, assembly line workers or college football players, it, it, it's always correlated to higher injury rates. So uh, taking into account that, but physiologically speaking, having a muscle that's pre-tensioned will have a lot easier time. Um, okay, maybe you lose a little bit of the force from the momentum you can carry into that, you know, slack. Um, but you do put you do put your muscles in a position where you're gonna have a less chance of a strain because they're already starting to lengthen under that load. It's like you know taking a piece of putty and cold and just pulling it apart versus like gradually pulling and then pulling the last bit. You're gonna have a much easier time you know not snapping it if you're gradually applying that force. And that that's what you're talking about there. That you know kind of hit the tension and then they want to just yank through that. Well, that's the part where like they're running. Yes, this guy's walking. Right, right. They're running full speed, and then mm -hmm. that usually, that's yeah. like right. the, the boat and, anchor catches. Yeah, and it's not it just naturally without being aware of it. Yeah, you're like right now we're teaching in the academy, and I'm trying. No matter how many times I repeat it, mm -hmm. of whether it's in front of you, whether it's up high, be able to see that loop mm -hmm. because it to them they think I care about their thumb being around it and securing it in their hand. Yeah. In all reality, the more important piece to me, and I, I don't know why, because I, I just, you need this movement. Yeah, absolutely. So what happens is, is they start running. Mm -hmm. Now they're preloaded back here. Yeah. And then when it catches, there's no, 
no and gear. there's and there's a, a an air pack on your back. Mm-hmm. So now there's res- restriction here, catching, and that's it. Yeah. So it's like, why would you do that <laughs> to your shoulder right. or your pec? And and that even though it is preloaded, now we're running out of mobility. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's. I mean, the the catching the egg analogy applies to that just as well, right? If I'm if I'm in a place where I have no motion, no room to kind of absorb that force, I'm gonna have a lot harder time display like uh, applying that force to the egg and not causing it to break. But if I have room behind me, I can I can gather that egg and uh, you know put it in a position where it has a less chance of, of breaking, right? Mm-hmm. So um, sa- same kind of situation where when you have the hand in front of you, not only do you have the ability to you know have room to move into and yield to those forces that are being applied pretty quickly, but you also have the ability to to leverage the rest of your body to keep the hand in front of you instead of getting it yanked back, even if the the force is pretty abrupt, right? Even like you know getting to a position if if the hand's in front of you, using your body as a stop as it comes back instead of immediately kind of going out to the side, right? So you have, you have way more options. And options when it comes to movement is always a good thing. If you only have one way to do things, eventually you're going to have a situation where you either can't do that way or that position gets overloaded after doing it enough, mm-hmm. right? Even like, say, like the best marathon runners in the world, they might start the marathon with like a heel strike. And then in the midway through, they might be in a midfoot strike, and they might that's just to distribute forces throughout their body, so they're not using one aspect of their of their force uh, absorbing capabilities the whole time, right? It, it's another example, like if I if I'm sitting here in this chair and I had my elbow on this on this armrest the entire time at the same point, after an hour it's it's going to be a little sore. But having options to be able to offload and move side to side is very important, and. In that situation, having the options to, to absorb that force differently is going to be beneficial to anybody. Sure. Awesome. Uh, we're done with this one. I think that yeah, was I it. Mean, yeah. that's, the, that's the rough part. Yeah. Yeah. Now the fun stuff. We're going to get, right. in, <laughs> get into the EMS uh, side of things. These movements uh, we do more frequently, being mm-hmm. that we that's 90, 95% of what we do. Yeah. Um, in this instance, the initial movement here, getting the patient uh, from the lower point on the gurney to the upper is something we don't do as often uh, mm-hmm. because the battery, um, we usually have the battery operation capabilities to, to raise it. Uh, but if we don't, we do have to do this. And this is also very similar to uh, picking a patient up on a backboard. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the first thing you see is them getting into the a very deep squat, kind of, you know, pushing their weight on their toes. Uh, the one thing I do like is at least the arms are extended. Um, so then that force application is straight through the, the legs. Um, but, you know, we've seen other positions that the arms aren't extended. And then you're asking your, your you know, arms and elbows to carry a load that you're thinking is going through your legs, right? So at least the arms are extended here. Um, and then as they, as they push to the ground to kind of lift, um, you'll see that they almost as they lift, get into a deadlift position anyway. You know, they're not, they're not staying completely upright. They actually lean forward as they're, as they're lifting. Uh, so when I see something like this, in my mind, I'm like, why are they not already deadlifting that off the ground? You know, why are they not hinging it more rather than trying to squat that position more? Um, because like we talked about, it's, it's about the options, right? When I'm squatting, I only have the option to, to put my hands here and, and lift this up. When, when I'm hinging something, I have the option to grip different ways. I have the option to... Uh, you know, put myself in a position where I can, I can get more comfortable. I can go like a single leg, like, you know, one leg forward, one leg back. If you're in a more cramped space, you have more options. If you're training yourself to pick up things off the ground in more of a hinge position. So when you're hinging, sorry, Clint, uh, when you're hinging, what's the difference between the back position? Like what is, what's the difference there? Right. So, so the biggest difference is instead of your torso being completely upright, like it is in that squat position, it's going to be more lean forward. And it's funny because Incidentally, people have been taught that's a more dangerous position for your back. Um, but watch any, like there's a reason why you can, most lifters can deadlift more than they can squat. It, it is a stronger position where we're utilizing the posterior chain, the hamstrings, the glutes, the adductors a lot more f- effectively um, versus a squat, especially the bottom part of a squat, starting it from like in that paused position. Th- that, I would say majority of people can get in that position comfortably. <laughs> They have to be either up on their toes and now they have, now they don't even have the whole foot in contact with the ground to apply force there. It's all going through their toes, you know? So uh, you're utilizing much stronger muscles when your uh, body is a little more pitched forward. And um, at the end of the day, like we said, when, when he was getting up from that squat, he like kind of pitched forward anyway. 
So why not just start in that position, be ready for that load rather than accidentally end up in that position is what I'm saying. So, so a normal squat, his torso angle would be the same as, as he lifts the whole way, right? But you'll see as he starts lifting here, his torso is going to lean forward, forward, and then he's in a deadlift position anyway. So why not just start there and make it a deadlift? You know, like who you'll never see a squat end like that. Right. So, so that's, that's my kind of opinion on that. I think that that should have just been a deadlift hinge position from the beginning. I, I think it's impressive that he walked into the deadlift. That was, <laughs> I got pulled into this. <laughs> How your body, his body, your body literally naturally found its way to like, no, Absolutely. no, no, let me tell you how to do this person. Exactly. <laughs> well, I was going to say, you see people in the gym and they start their deadlift like super low. Yeah. And then they explode until they get the tension on the bar and then they're in their deadlift position that they would have started at with their ass right. higher and stuff. Right. Right. Yeah. And they're like, you should have just started there. Started and then you there. could have taken the slack out of the bar with your lats and mm -hmm. been ready to lift the weight up. Yes. You know what? While we're, while we're talking about it, um, difference between, because we are discussing uh, within the framework introducing uh, the firefighter version of the new Army Combat Standard as okay. our PT evaluation, and it's a it's a hex bar deadlift. Mm -hmm. um, people that are unfamiliar will hear the word deadlift and go, yeah, yeah. no, not doing it. And it's you're dangerous. Like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. You don't know. There's a reason why the Army is put so much uh, 10 years and over 30 million dollars which i'm sure they're at 40 million now yeah. into this they wouldn't be doing it if it was dangerous mm -hmm. so first question would be um what is the difference between a standard straight bar deadlift as opposed to a hex bar with your hands by the side All right so the biggest difference is just where the load is placed so when you're when you're uh the only reason why the bars in front of you on a normal deadlift and not uh, your hands aren't by your sides because you physically can't do it, right? The bar runs into your shins. Um, ideally, any load you're lifting will be on the near your center of gravity um, and, and near kind of the center of your balance point. So what the hex bar deadlift does is you can stand in between the load and, and lift it up in that in that position. So what you're doing is you're you're able to take that load instead of in front of you because we know the more the load gets in front of you, no matter what lift you're doing, the more stressors it puts on the backside, right? So whether it's, um, whether it's me doing a, a squat and like accidentally leaning over too far, or whether it's, you know, me doing a deadlift and the bar gets away from me, either way, I'm exponentially increasing the load on my body, even though the load, the, the weight of the bar hasn't changed, but I've changed the amount of load because I've changed my levers. So what the hex bar deadlift does is it allows you to stand in the middle of this bar and, and not really change the load's uh, application onto the person's body based on its position because it's right in the middle. And, and why does it reduce back injuries? So I, I, it's hard to say that it really does. Um, I don't think that's ever been like completely studied. That it, that it does reduce back injuries, the, the hex bar deadlift versus the, the barbell deadlift. Like, like I said, uh, movement preparedness always trumps movement quality. I'm sorry, not, not actually reduces it in real life, just yeah. safer, I guess, that there's okay. less injuries with hex bar deadlifting okay. than there is with straight bar. Gotcha. So, so with, with that in mind, the biggest thing probably would be if you put you know, 100 pounds on a normal bar and 100 pounds on a hex bar, um, the weight the a force applied to your body as you're making the lift is much more distributed throughout the lower extremities on a hex bar deadlift than it is uh, during a straight bar. So straight bar, because of the position you have to get into and where the load is placed, will selectively put more of that force in your low back versus the other parts. Now, like I said, it's not inherently dangerous if you're prepared for it, but if a low back force related injury is of concern, then generally the, the hex bar will be quote unquote a safer option because it just offloads that place you know and it's probably maybe a little bit more of an organic position yeah then i mean like picking Absolutely. something up with your hands at your sides probably a little bit more natural than leaning over in front of you and rubbing a bar against your shins absolutely right? so absolutely that's kind of I, I kind of feel like uh as the fire service progresses uh maybe getting into like more strongman yeah movements because they're odd yeah right and it's really more organic like watch i've had medicine balls at my house forever so watching my kids grow up they instinctively picked it up 100 perfect yeah every time right yeah and and and, and, the, and those stones that they pick up in the strongman like 
how do they pick them up with a rounded spine? It literally crawls, right? yeah. T spine flexion. And and there's going to be some lumbar flexion in there too, but guess what? They're locked in that position. So it's not that the lumbar flexion is really a bad thing. Um there's there's not they've done biomechanical studies on people that you know have the really really strong deadlifts or even look like they're in completely a quote-unquote neutral st- straight spine and there's lumbar flexion happening right so it we shouldn't be scared of that position we need to be good at that position like what's that deadlift constantine uh yeah, constantinople yeah yeah, right, yeah. Whatever, it, whatever his name is. is yeah uh his deadlift he he looks like a question mark <laughs> right right but he's deadlifting like 900 something pounds yeah. i mean he's a super strong deadlifter absolutely so you going from powerlifting in high school right with your powerlifting coach yep. right into collegiate sports when you started to do your strongman competitions and doing that stuff did it did it take a second to translate for you or did it make sense i mean there's there's like a there's a you got to learn how to pick stuff yeah. right and like I, i'm i'm no pro strongman by any means but like learning how to pick a sandbag or a stone or clean a log and all that stuff is i mean it's it's not the it's not the intensity of like learning an olympic movement like yeah. learning a snatch like an olympic snatch is an insane it it takes people 20 years before they get on a platform and do it four times yeah mm-hmm. you know what i mean like picking up a stone or a sandbag's way more organic yeah, yeah. i mean there's not like it's not like a lot of form to it it's like you got to figure out like where you position your feet and how you're going to lock your back yeah. in place and get down in that position yeah. yeah and then go it's not like like learning an olympic movement that's what blows my mind about cross but this is a little tangent it's like they take these movements that, uh, and I'm not against like high intensity interval training, right? Mm-hmm. But like having people come in to a gym and then giving them like a five minute class on like what a snatch or a clean and press is, uh, or even like a thruster for that matter, right? Yeah. And being like, we're going to do these for time, right? It Damn takes, rap. go. Yeah. It takes <laughs> people like literally 20 years of going through a meat grinder to figure out how to do this lift appropriately and then they get an opportunity once every four years to get six lifts in. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Like what mm-hmm. a crazy amount of time you dedicate yeah. to a movement. Like an odd movement pattern. Right, like right. I would never do a snatch of anything life. in my life. Yeah. Well and that's anything. why that's why I was asking you if it translated uh pretty easy or naturally, because it seems like we've created more issues like in these videos. If 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 the audio was on, you would hear in these three videos them go be sure to lift with your legs, not your back. Get Be up sure on your to toes. Right? Yeah, <laughs> and, and it, you hear it, and you hear it, yeah, and you yeah. hear it, and now it's almost like we've done it to ourselves mm-hmm. where you have people like sit, and then they like just squat down as much as they can, yeah, grab yeah. whatever they can, and then stand, where you're like our bodies naturally want to find that home of that natural yeah. deadlift position instead yeah. of the squat position. So. Uh, I think I think that's a big thing to uh, kind of point out too is like is with with the with the CrossFit movement too there it's it really I think started almost took off too quickly and they weren't able to really get the education out that they wanted to uh, and now the CrossFit movement's a lot better at m- making sure that everyone knows what they're doing and everything so they've made humongous strides which is awesome. Well, the the cool thing about CrossFit is it got everybody back into the barbell. Yes, like that absolutely. was that was a absolutely. movement that needed to happen. Like, yes, and and. Honestly, I don't use the barbell for very much anymore. Like a lot of kettlebells, medicine well, balls. I use like a fat bar. Yeah, I use an axle. Oh, gotcha. Stuff and, uh, but like it's just good that everybody came into yeah. like accepting the barbell again, which yeah. kind of came out of favor there for a while. That and you can't hear the timer with headphones in. Oh yeah, that's kind of why my theory of why it took off is because the accountability mm-hmm. workout starts at seven, mm-hmm. and when that timer goes off. You better be ready, right? And you have you can't have headphones in, so that way you can you can hear everyone else, yeah, cheering you on and getting you the to community finish. Aspect, the community yeah. aspect it, it of it created a very awesome comp- competitive environment. Yes, like, yes. which I'm assume, ass- assuming assuming that back before there were these Bluetooth headphones and everybody, I mean, mm-hmm. wasn't walking around with the Walkman that was clipped and that 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 gym atmosphere used to be that way yeah. and then the community aspect of it is see what you did you created this tangent yeah. um but yeah i think that's another reason why it took off but yeah so now to the loading portion yeah. of the the patient on the on the gurney mm-hmm. um this happens regardless that the patient at the feet yeah happen either way so yeah. what the provider the provider at the feet yeah. Um, is is going to lift from that that mid thigh pull, yeah, um, and be able to be that that fulcrum for getting the patient up into the 
back of the gurney or back of the ambulance. Yeah. So most of us now have a, an automatic, the battery powered gurney retracts itself, but you're still holding a static position mm-hmm. while the gurney retracts and then yeah. you're not having somebody manually yeah. retract it. No, I, I actually really like how he lifted that, you know, got into that hinge position that we talked about, made sure he gripped on the lower handle so his arms are more extended before the lift happened. And then if you if you bring it back to that part one more time, you'll see that um, as he's bringing his elbows up, and I don't know if this is on purpose or not, he doesn't just lift it like a bicep curl, he pulls his elbows back. So like that that essentially uses his lats to pick up the patient more. So a bigger, a bigger muscle he's putting his load on. So biomechanically, I actually like that quite a bit. Um, like I said, biomechanics aren't everything, but if you could do things efficiently, you'll be able to do them for longer without repercussions. Well, I th- this is a, this is part of something being organic, right? Cause there's yeah. no way you're going to curl. No, especially <laughs> like an obese patient. Yeah. Just yeah. 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 You, right? yeah. Or even like if you're a, you know, a smaller firefighter, like you're not going to be able to curl like yeah. heavier weights like that. So like I said, arms extended, great position lifts up and then elbows go back, not wrists up was what helped lift and uh, lift that patient up. So more of a, a three-step method. It's not yeah. one solid movement. Yeah. It's let's bend down, let's stand up with this, yep. with arms straight. Then once we're up off the ground, yeah. we'll retract, not curl. Yeah, you basically you're rowing that patient up. Even though a row is like a you know a horizontal movement when you're moving in the, in the gym, he rowed that and the patient moved upward. So like he uses biomechanics very well. So I, I actually, that's one video I think I'll, uh, I can at least appreciate um, other videos we watched so far. Awesome. And <laughs> now this contraption. <laughs> so, uh, stair chair. Yeah. Uh, this one, they are manually, um, lifting the patient and bringing them down the stairs. Mm-hmm. Um, there are newer versions that have an extension handle that comes kind of like a monkey bar that extends out of the top of it that yeah. gives you a little more leverage and leans back on yeah. like a, a rubber track that'll allow it to roll down yeah um which isn't as dangerous obviously because you're not carrying the load however this happens in confined spaces yeah um, all the time there's never a wide open stairwell star- staircase that we can get the person down right yeah so the the first thing you definitely notice is the person at the top is having a you know a great time trying to get her knees to go through the back of the chair to go down the stairs naturally. Um, and it, it's, it's this, it's the same thing we kind of talked about with the deadlift with a straight bar versus hex bar, right? That load is always going to be in front of her because her knees can't go through the back of the chair. So it's always going to be in front of her. So that is going to selectively put more load on her low back. She needs to either be prepared for it or find a different way to do it. But you know, I know uh, most of the times, um, in, in these situations, there's not a different way to do it. You just have to do it. So at that point, if this is something that you, if you are preparing for this, say you had a competition that you want to be the world champion at being that person at the top of the stairs, I would, and I had a choice between making you hex bar deadlift or straight bar deadlift. I would straight bar deadlift every single time. Cause and that's what's going to, yes, because that's going to selectively specifically adapt you for this better than the X bar deadlift. People might look at the handles and say, Oh, you know, the handles are on the side. So that's like a hex bar deadlift, but look where the weight is. It's all in front. You need to be good and prepared for the weight to be in front of you and not around you. And that's what would make a straight bar deadlift more applicable to preparing for this than a hex bar. Um, and one thing I, I did want to discuss during this, and we haven't talked about, uh, Clink mentioned it earlier as far as the, the magic with breathing. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the importance and how do you breathe when properly? Because mm-hmm. she knows the load's coming. Yeah. So that, that downward force of, of keeping your air in, can you explain that to yeah. our listeners? So, so basically, the, the steps in getting a great brace in, around the midsection to make sure the, you control the weight and the weight doesn't control you starts from getting in an efficient position, getting, getting the rib cage kind of stacked over top of the pelvis. Now, I'm not saying it needs to be in the exact place, this and that, but generally the rib cage being stacked over on top of the pelvis, a lot of people like to be in a very extended position because that's what they've been taught, chest up, chest up. And that puts you in a position where you selectively already started preloading your low back. I would say, you know, 90% of the patients that I've seen that have low back pain with deadlifts do it because of overextension, not because of flexion that we've been all taught to avoid, right? I think maybe the pendulum swung too far in that direction. Um, But yeah, getting the rib cage stacked over top of the pelvis, getting some muscle activation. And then when you take that breath in, making sure that 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 breath is getting to a place where uh, you're breathing into some kind of tension. 
right? A lot of people take a breath first and then try to brace down. But at that point, a lot of the muscles you're trying to contract are like more stretched out. So you want to get in that brace position, hold the rib cage uh, stacked over top of that pelvis, then take that breath in and almost feel like you're forcing air into tightness. That'll, that'll help you get a brace. Now, if that's not like a one rep max, then you can't afford to really hold your breath during this time. So there, it is a skill to be able to hold a brace while still breathing. Um, but if it is a one rep max, then, you know, or like you have to only lift it one time, then holding your breath is not a totally bad thing. The Valsalva maneuver in that case can increase uh, the capabilities of you to, to, to gain strength and gain um, uh, uh, like a, a stiffness throughout the low back and throughout the area that it can, they can hold a heavier weight. Um, but that's not going to happen if you're walking down multiple flights of stairs and you need to breathe, right? So at that point, just being in a good position, a more efficient position, I can't say good, a more efficient position is probably beneficial. And it's never one flight of stairs. Yeah, almost. Yeah, yeah I can never. imagine. Never. Yeah, and I'm just and I'm thinking in the sense of this is obviously like three stairs when we get into those funky places, or if it's just right. when we're trying to get from tucked behind. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you know, it's the it's tucked in the corner behind this king size mattress where the person collects Sports Illustrated for forty five years in. There's not there's no space anywhere. So yeah. you're, you're having whether it's one arm down or trying to hold on to something and leverage and you got four or five people trying to get someone out of this realm yeah. of creating that what you said when someone's like, all right, because there's always one person usually at the head. Right. In charge and going, everybody good. Right. Ready. One, two, lift and yeah. just teaching everyone to go, OK, I need to get my brace ready right. to get this person out of where right. they are. All righty. Move on. We got two more. This is this is my favorite. <laughs> this is the home run. This is the total lifter. And I even asked, how many years ago was this? And you were like twelve, and I'm like, it's about right. <laughs> Looks the exact same. This is like, uh, I think I did my medic about twelve years ago. Okay. And I, that's the last time I remember seeing like how to properly lift a patient. It's like get up on your toes. Yeah. So it, it's very similar to the gurney video, but much worse uh, because they, they put themselves in the position where, like, like we talked about, this, if you want to do it efficiently, should have been a hinge pattern, right? Should have been where, you know, you can get that weight in, uh, in a position where it's in front of you. You can get your arms extended. So you're placing the load because they're saying there, oh, make sure you lift with your legs. Okay, your legs are straightening, but a lot of that load is going straight through your bicep. You know, and if someone gets heavier and like someone's not prepared for that, then you're putting yourselves in a position where, you know, you're loading the bicep more than you thought you were. So starting in the hinge position where your arms are straight is going to be easier to get that patient off the ground. And then you can leverage once you get closer to the gurney, um, bending your arms and rowing that patient up to get them on the gurney. So why put the smaller muscles under more load during times where you don't have to why not rely on the big muscles until you have to rely on the smaller muscles that and like uh, if i'm if i'm going to lift something heavy like i want my entire foot on On the the ground ground. i don't want to be on my toes right right you don't like this no (laughs) (laughs) i think that's awesome that should be that should be that should be before you leave the earth that should be (laughs) what your what your feet look like not before you pick up uh an invalid right 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 that's the big thing. It's like a, you know, getting you in a stripper squat and then asking you to pick something up. It's right. just, it's just, nah, it's, it's not, the, it's not the way to really efficiently do it. Like I said, I don't, I don't want to get into, into the mindset of like labeling something wrong or right, but there is more efficient and less efficient when you're taking in all the extra variables that firefighters have to go through to make sure they're being efficient physically. Um, it, it, it becomes much more important when you look at the environment you guys put yourselves in. Well, and, and Rhodes even mentioned it earlier. I mean, nobody falls down in the middle of a wide open spot. No. They're like stuck in between the toilet. So then you're like, you've got one foot on the tub, mm-hmm. one foot on the tank. Yeah. And you're like in some weird, like kind of one armed, holding yeah. on for dear life. And then everybody's trying to uh, contribute. So you don't, you, you very rarely are you in a position like that. Yeah. And if you are, uh, like what they did there at the end and like kind of linked around. Like yeah. We usually pick straight up. Yeah. And then have somebody roll the bed lower underneath. underneath it. Yeah. That way we don't have to move again. Right. Absolutely. So, and sometimes you, you don't have that option. Right. right. Sometimes you have to wiggle through the Sports Illustrated and everything. Right. And then, and as bad as this is, um, I, I think it's overlooked. Mm-hmm. Um, just in, in the fire service in general, it just is 
it's such a we utilize this piece of equipment i would venture to say every day at every station Mm -hmm. and it the the assumption that everyone knows how to properly lift or that we for some reason like you said stair stairwells get really narrow doors are much smaller on ems calls for some reason (laughs) it's a weird it's a weird thing where we'll try to like let go we'll have a full load fine scooting shuffling and then everything shrinks and then now you're like trying to pass to the next person and then it create then you hear your partner make this and you're like oh what (laughs) (laughs) because now his load is going to me and i'm like this isn't good at all but uh yeah so that's just something this has been so ingrained in us for so long that like uh I, I'll do the hinge to get down to it. I'm not, I'm not going to a squat to pick no, somebody up. So no. I'll hinge and I'll have people like tap me and be like, Hey buddy, you're going to hurt yourself. <laughs> and I'm like, I'll be all right, man. Thanks. Thank you though. Thank, Thank you for your concern. Like the, the little girl, worry about yourself. <laughs> 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 what do you want me to do? Worry about yourself. Uh, so last video is a uh, cardiac arrest mm-hmm. uh, with one of our auto pulse boards. Uh, this is what that usually uh, looks like. Yeah, um, when we watched this video earlier, this is the first time uh, I'm seeing this, and this is like honestly one of the coolest things I've seen in, like in a long time. Um, how Clink uh, was saying that you know now that they give them the compressions, it compresses. It's actually better than just two hands because you can do it while they're moving. You can do it while you get, you can get the whole rib cage compressing back and forth instead of putting all that load on the sternum. That's why I mean that's one of the big reasons why you get cracked sternums and ribs in the area. You're putting all that force in one area. This distributes it better. And it's perfect. It's no human error. There's nobody getting tired. There's Absolutely. nobody with bad form. There's Absolutely. nobody. This is, no. This is phenomenal. Yeah, it's a pretty it's a pretty amazing. Uh, and I, I should probably know this, but. I, I'm sure that is it's increased cardiac survivability, but yeah, I don't know. It would I mean, be interesting to look at the yeah. stats. Yeah, I think I think the other thing is like you know uh, I know they have um, AEDs in a lot of buildings. Like, I'm, how far are we from getting this in the building? Well, right, because because you know uh, whether it's like you know waiting for uh, one of you guys to show up or someone that is CPR certified jumping on there, maybe that's the only person and they have to wait seven minutes and their arms are getting tired. They've never done this. Before. I mean, the cool thing about this board too is there's pictures on it for us. Yeah. To show you like head goes here. Right. You know what I mean? Like a green button yeah. is Dummy start. Proof. Yeah. yeah. A Absolutely. red button is stop. Absolutely. I mean, as long yeah. as it's charged. Yeah. Why would you chance it? Why would yeah. you just assume this person knows exactly what's going on, especially in like a life threatening situation? You know, there's a lot of adrenaline flowing. You're gonna you could skip steps, but this is just like, you know, step by step by step. Here, make a dummy proof. Right. Let's let's get it on there. Well, I'm sure these are expensive and yeah. people won't get them until the insurance starts cutting brakes for them. Like I'm yeah, sure yeah. you get an insurance yeah. break with having so many AEDs per square foot yeah, of the population. Yeah, yeah. So and it can't cause sense. any damage because I mean how many calls have you ran on where people are doing CPR and they shouldn't be? Yeah. You can hear the person going, <laughs> Stop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, hey, cut that out. He's and they breathing. <laughs> um but this is what them going down the staircase. Yeah. This is a good uh representation yeah. of what it of what it looks like right. trying to manipulate someone going down and around yeah it's just a bunch of so, weird angles so which, which is really interesting how they uh you know when they want to get into spaces like that um and how they kind of uh lower the legs in that position um it's it's similar to you know that that gurney video we watched where he was rowing instead of uh instead of curling where you know it could be an interesting way to instead of like having to lower yourself all the way down where now you're down here and putting more of that load throughout the lower back like maybe picking that up and bending the knees from just pulling his knees towards his chest and now you're still compact in this position instead of having to uh instead of having to lower down and spreading out where your hands are in terms of holding the load you're bringing them closer together and when you're lifting a load bring the hands closer together is always going to be stronger than having to spread them across two hands further apart that's the first thing I noticed. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure if it's like, you know, impractical or, you know, the, the force on the straps, but I would think like you can almost keep your hands in almost the same position. Um, if you, if you, uh, you know, bend it a little bit, then you leverage and you pull it up towards it. So his knees are bent, but it's his knees up towards the chest rather than his feet dropping towards the ground. So that would be interesting. But yeah, this, I can see how, you know, this can just cause all 
sorts of issues where, you know, right. uh, like I said, it, it, it's a movement preparedness thing. And this is something that comes up so infrequently in people's training that it's, it's hard to be prepared for this, especially when you're waking up, you know, at 2am having to go do this somewhere at someone's house, it's dark, you're tripping over stuff. You didn't have enough sleep. Like a lot of these things can, you know, inv invoke those, you know, injury type, uh, reactions. Yeah. So, um, and I, even I, when you are prepared, it's not, I mean, that monitor itself, I think the monitor's 35 pounds. Yeah. Um, the person, the board, yeah. I mean, well, the average American, I think is like 215 pounds or something like that now. Yeah. Um, it, it's a lot of weight. Mm -hmm. So even being prepared. Yeah. Well, think about that, right? If, if you put the average, say, say, say just on like, even on the high end, uh, say that full thing weighs 300 pounds, right? That's each person out of the four has, has to be able to carry 75 pounds downstairs, upstairs, in front of them, not around them again. So deadlifts is going to like, you know, prepare you for this a lot more than a hex bar deadlift is. And it's going to be asymmetrical off to one side. So, so, you know, like even like loading up a 75 pound barbell and carrying it like that could be a good way to prepare in, in that situation, you know? Um, so I, I think at the end of the day, you can't forget the, you know, the said principle, the specificity, uh, of adaptations to impose demands. You're going to adapt based on the demands you put on your body, right? That's how we build calluses. That's how we build muscle, right? We have demands we put on our body that our body realizes, hey, I, I need to adapt to this to make sure this stressor isn't as big of a deal next time you do this, right? So if you can train with that barbell in front of you and like in the asymmetrical grip and carries in that situation, you're gonna have firefighters that are more prepared for situations like this. I think you just wrote BT for Monday. For, there you go. For the recruits. There you go. You're welcome. <laughs> well, awesome. Yeah. Um, so we, uh, every episode, I don't know if yeah. you've seen them yet, uh, we do a clip of the day. Yeah. Uh, we're just going to show a quick uh, little clip. Yeah. And then you can give us your, your insight on it. All right, let's see it. Cool. Yeah. I'm going to let each one of you pick out the car of your choice. Sounds good, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, pick it out any color. You name it, it'll be tied up with a bow, and it'll be at your house tomorrow. And you say, well, what's the catch? <laughs> and the catch is that it's the only car you're going to get in your lifetime. Now, what are you going to do knowing that that's the only car you're ever going to have and you love that car? <laughs> you're going to take care of it like you cannot believe. Now, what I'd like to suggest, you're not going to get only one car in your lifetime but you're going to get one body and one mind and that's all you're going to get and that body and mind feels terrific now but it has to last you a lifetime very wise words i think uh applies yeah applies to any situation applies to any profession applies to any anything you do i mean uh, i feel like the, the biggest shift that we've seen away from healthy lifestyle choices has been people are not really in, intentional anymore, right? They're, they're, um, f they, don't, they don't treat things as like fleeting and can be gone. They almost think, assume it's always going to be there. And when you're not intentional with your exercise, intentional with brushing your teeth, intentional with making your bed, intentional with these things, you, you get into a mindset that, hey, maybe I don't need this. And then eventually... When your body tells you you need it, it's too late, right? And we, we live in the world of instant gratification. So when I post a picture, I get likes on it. When I do, when I, you know, take this pill, I immediately fall asleep, whatever it is, instead of really looking towards the root cause, why are these things happening in the first place? And usually situations you end up in physically are, if it wasn't like a trauma or anything like incidental, usually they're a collection, because of a collection of choices that you've made consciously. Right. So, so if you make every decision based on that, I think you're going to end up making better decisions, but it does take discipline. It does take, you know, desire and it does take, um, a strong will to, to kind of, uh, you know, keep onto that. How often does someone come to you, uh, just from word of mouth and mm -hmm. go, Hey, you know, you fixed my buddy and, and, and they go and you go, well, how long has it been going on? Mm -hmm. and go 10 12 years. Does that happen a lot? <laughs> I'll say more often than not because, because we're, we're, you know, outside of the insurance world where, you know, direct pay. So, um, really we're almost looked at as like the last resort, you know, like I've had people like, Hey, if this didn't work, I was going to chop my leg off, like kind of stuff. Like literally I've, I've had people say that, you know, and, um, or like if, if this didn't work, I was going to retire or like, you know, and so, so, 
uh, it happens quite a bit. And it's remember, remember we talked about at the beginning of the episode, like the why, right? A lot of times people aren't going to make a change until the why is big enough. You know, yeah. if they're having some pain here or there, they can muddle through some things. They can give up a couple of things that aren't super important, but when it gets to the point where they have to give up something very important to them, then they're like, I need help. And I just want people to understand that, you know, that could have been most likely changed with lifestyle changes earlier on. We never even had to make that decision. And all those little things you gave up, you probably never had to. Um, But it's, it's tough because like I said, we're, we're fighting uphill battle of instant gratification. You know, Uh, you know, would I rather uh, work out or rather go grab some ice cream? You know, I, Ice cream. Rather, yeah, every single time, right? Still. Right, right. So <laughs> so at the end of the day, like it's not, I'm not saying give up all these like quote unquote unhealthy habits. Like, you know, a lot of them thing a lot of those things cause you enjoyment and allow you to decompress and be human he be human. But like to be a human that can wither the storm, you have to put yourself through planned stressors. And and I would think that that would be the key difference between professional athletes and tactical athletes is we are just stubborn and okay with yeah my shoulders okay as long as i just don't have to reach above my head or do right. anything sideways or throw a ladder i'm good and you're like yeah. what whereas like professional athletes have to perform yeah and have to address those i don't want to call them minor injuries mm-hmm. but you, you have you can't have any inability well, to pop yeah. up it's also the <clears throat> the emphasis that's been put on professional athletes is to be in peak 100 percent performance yeah. where Tactical athletes haven't been provided that infrastructure yeah. and resources, and so now they're like, "Well, I can live with this. Yeah, you know, it's I'll, good I'll just, enough. I'll, I'm going to eat a bunch of ibuprofen and then drink myself to sleep at night." And you're yeah. like, "That's not how you should be living your life. Right? Right. You yeah. should be 100 percent mm-hmm. functional, like into retirement." Yeah, mm-hmm. but they don't look at it, and and even like professional athletes kind of fall off too after yeah. after they're done with that being their job and their mission is yeah. human performance, and then they get into like retirement. And then they become announcers, whatever they get into, right? They, yeah. own, a, they own a dealership, whatever they yeah. do. They seem to slip too because mm-hmm. the emphasis on being 100% leaves and fleets. Yeah. And that shouldn't be the case with age. You know, right. I want to be like that weird looking Santa Claus that's ripped. You know, you know what I'm talking about? The, <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like just white beard and <laughs> yoked. That's what I, and, and just veins everywhere. Just die like that. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but in that, I mean, it, the, the clip saying you only get uh, one body. I yeah. mean, we haven't discussed it, but... When you're not injured or mm-hmm. something's not bothering you, I'm assuming that you still go to optimize. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. I, yeah. And there's there's things that and like like you were touching on with the instant gratification, like the the world's and this is gonna sound bad. The world's too easy right now. Yeah. Like I get mad when I order something off of Amazon and it's not at my house the next day. <laughs> right. You know it should I mean? be. It should be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If it says at five o'clock to ten o'clock at night and it's ten oh one, Amazon has failed me. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's, and that's right. ridiculous. Right, right, right. That's so, so we don't have enough tough things. And that's, and like, this is another little tangent. That's why I like, like you said, inducing stressors. Mm-hmm. Like I like fasting yes. because it's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know what you kind sure? of. sure like, you did it pretty easily. It's still uncomfortable. Yeah. Cold showers, uncomfortable. Uncomfortable. Like yeah. I do it because like I want the world's way too easy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like we have, we have more than anybody in history has ever had. And mm-hmm. then we expect, and then that. What's funny is like you would think that that's like the money leads to happiness fall, yeah. right? Like you think the more money you make, the more happier you're going to be. I think P. Diddy said that, right? Yeah, something yeah. like it's that. It's more money, more problems, more money, right? more problems. For sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because like you just expect it and it's easy and, yeah. it's, and it's not it's not as earned. Like like the first car, if you're given your first car versus if you bought your first car, you would take care of that car. Yeah. That was, you worked for the one that you were given. You're just like, yeah. yeah. And even him, I think he still. I think that's the the purpose behind this is he still drove. And I don't know, obviously, if he still does it, but he was. It was a big thing about Warren Buffett for a long time was yeah. that he drove the same, whatever it was, Camry he, or yeah. something. He lives in a really modest house, and he's worth billions, billions yeah. of dollars. And yeah. he lives in the super modest house. He doesn't spend a ton of money. And I think, I think at the end of the day. That, that could solve a, a lot of issues in people's lives when it comes to finances. Like just because you make more income doesn't mean you have to spend more income. Doesn't mean, you know, of, of course, when you're, if you're underneath a certain level, like when you make more income, you have to shore up necessities. But I think people uh, want to buy more things to impress people that they don't even like really talk to or mm-hmm. like, you know? So um, it, like I said, it, it applies to so many different situations. Like, like Clink was saying about the uh, applying the stressors. Uh, we've gotten to a point where like, you know, 
stressors are gonna be inevitable, right? But we wanna live our whole life without stressors. So then how are you gonna be prepared for them when the stressors do come on, right? Like, you know, if we be as specific as firefighting, right? The reason why you lift specifically in your program is to induce the stress that you're gonna, uh, you know, uh, put on your body out on the field. So the more specifically you can, you know, impose those demands, the more specifically you're going to adapt. So it's, uh, the body's adaptable, resilient, phenomenal, phenomenal tool for us to carry throughout our whole lives. Um, it's just, we, we take it for granted because our lives are pretty long, right? We're the average is going to be around 78, 80 years old as, as we kind of go along. So, uh, over the, over those 80 years, it's easy to forget that, Hey, that this is my only one I have. Yeah, for sure. Well, cool. Yeah. Um, thank you. Of course. For Dude, Zach, you are one of the pillars of the firefighter framework. You have yeah. thrown more time and resources at the fire departments here locally and hopefully getting some stuff out there on a, on a broader level with this, but you've yeah. been invaluable to us, man. We can't thank you enough for Appreciate what so you've much. done and yeah. coming on today, but like literally all the, all the time and uh headache <laughs> that you've endured with, uh, with us, man. I yeah. thank you so much. Of course, man. Yeah. Anytime. Glad to do it. Alrighty. Awesome. Thank you again. Um, everybody that's, that's it. Uh, well, sort of, that's 10 episodes. So our, uh, next one will be a little recap, a little, uh, a, a, a see you later episode. We'll recap the, the 10, uh, maybe touch on some things that we uh, wanted to dive deeper into in those 10 episodes. But other than that, this has been awesome. And uh, see you guys next time.